0: Hello, I'm Eric Sorensen, and welcome to the West Block Podcast for Sunday, February 25th. On the show this week, what happened on that trip to India? Justin Trudeau returns today after a controversial visit capped off by a convicted gunman being invited to events with the Prime Minister. India was not impressed. Did the visit help or hurt Canada-India relations? Plus, the Ontario PC leadership race comes to Ottawa this week for a debate that just got really interesting. The man who quit as party leader is back in the race. Now who has the best shot at winning the leadership and the June election? And on Tuesday, the Liberal government tables its third federal budget. We'll talk to a senior economist about what Canadians can expect. But first, the trip was supposed to improve Canada-India relations, but the headlines suggested otherwise. Things went from bad to worse. Accusations the Trudeau government was influenced by Sikh separatists, and then a convicted gunman showed up as an invited guest of the Canadian government. What does this mean for Canada-India relations? Joining us now from Vancouver is Ujjal Dosanj, a former Liberal Cabinet Minister and former NDP Premier of British Columbia. And just to set up your experience, at the height of the worst of extremist activities in the 1980s, a young Ujjal Dosanj was brutally attacked. And the man who was charged in that attack, Jaspal Atwal, is the same man who ended up on an invite list with the Prime Minister. How, uh, now he wasn't convicted in your case, but he was convicted in another attack. How did you react when you heard of what happened with him hobnobbing with liberal elites these last few days?
1: Well, I was left speechless. I mean, for him to visit India on his own is a, is a different issue, but to be part of the political elite and perhaps other diplomatic people from uh, India uh, at the reception in Delhi or in Bombay... Um, was absolutely uh, out of this world. I thought uh, there was something amiss in this whole situation. Um, He uh, could be a security risk, maybe he's a reformed man, but obviously he had a criminal, serious criminal record of uh, uh, trying to kill a visiting Indian cabinet minister on Vancouver Island in British Columbia, um, subsequent to attack on me uh, and his acquittal on that uh, attack. Um, even if there were no security concerns, there should have been the political and the diplomatic antenna go crazy in, in this respect, because the prime minister had set out to improve Indian-Canadian relations. Uh, the prime minister of India had taken him aside at Davos and said, look, all is not well. Uh, we believe uh, the Khalistani activity in your country is problematic. and um, And the prime minister had two of his ministers uh, basically say they weren't Khalistanis or sympathizers of Khalistanis before they departed for India. They go to India and they bungle it by poking the chief minister of the state of Punjab, where the Golden Temple is, in the eye um, by saying they didn't want to meet with him. And uh, he was ready to be their tour guide at the Golden Temple. And then that was uh, ameliorated, or, or some, uh, you know, men's were made. Uh, and then you have this other political bombshell go on, uh, go off uh, in the form of Mr. Atwal, uh, right in the middle of uh, Mr. Trudeau uh, being sort of, you know, talked about in the, in the Indian press as having been snubbed uh, by the Prime Minister of India. So it didn't yeah. go well. No. Well, and,
0: and, and let me ask you about that, because a lot of Canadians may not appreciate the level of political involvement and passion in the Sikh community. Talk a bit about that and how someone with Atwal's background could
1: ingratiate himself back into having influence and connections. Well, he's tried to ingratiate himself with everyone in the world. I mean, that, that's who he is. And, uh, and the liberals aren't alone. Uh, in in that regard, but but uh, but for him to so it was, it's easy because the problem with the politics in Canada has been the Liberals, the New Democrats, and to a certain extent, Conservatives have all uh, kind of played footsie with um, with the khalistani separatists. They have ignored uh, the violence the uh, parading of, uh, of the posters of Air India Bomber in the parades, uh, promotion of Khalistan, a dismemberment of India, all of that has been ignored by Canadian politicians to date. Um, and and yes. the government of India basically said, uh, you know, you, you, free speech is one thing, they can ask for Khalistan, but for you to be hobnobbing with them and giving them legitimacy, giving them oxygen by attending their functions, by speaking at their functions, by ignoring the glorification of violence um, and glorification of people like Dharmar, the Burma, uh, who was the Air India bomber, that that's problematic. And yeah. so we, we went to correct that uh, situation, but we obviously, with, uh, with Atwal, made it worse. I understand the prime ministers now have had a meeting. They've hugged, and I, I hope that the uh, relationship is uh, back on track. We'll see in the days uh, to come whether or not that's the case.
0: Well, yeah, and, it, and I mean, it should have been such an easy call. The main simple message, we support a united India. It's so easy for a country like ours, where there are also separatist you know, elements to take up that position. Uh, but what will it take now? Because it feels like... He's further behind than he was a week ago when the trip began.
1: I think what it's going to take from my perspective, and I've been saying this forever, that the Canadian politicians have to start paying attention uh, to the sensitivities around India-Canada relations. They can't be hobnobbing um, and partying with the the Khalistanis, uh, whether in public or private, um, while at the same time saying, you believe in United India. You can't believe in United India if you hobnob with the others. Fair enough. Now, before you go, the
0: pipeline issue has been very big between B.C. and Alberta. I wanted to get your view on that because you also have a a unique perspective. You know both of those premiers, Horgan uh, and uh, and Notley, from your NDP background. Are you surprised that the two of them came together to at least walk away from
1: the precipice on this? I I have. It it actually pleased me to no end that they did that because they both looked childish. And that's not how you build nations. I mean, Canada is a diverse country. We need to have uh, some way of getting Alberta's goods uh, across to the ocean, uh, across British Columbia, and uh, and uh, ultimately uh, we're going to need one or another pipeline. And I think that uh, that the way it started with the press conference by the environment minister in British Columbia was wrong, and I, I believe the. Uh, Alberta Premier also overreacted, but I'm glad that the tempers have cooled, and uh, hopefully they'll have discussions, and Mr. Trudeau should become part of those discussions so that we can resolve this issue. All right. Mr. Dosanj,
0: thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you. It is the top job in the biggest province. What's remarkable is that the next Premier of Ontario may well be a relative unknown, and it's barely three months to Election Day. All of this a result of a rupture in the official opposition. Progressive Conservative leader Patrick Brown stepped down one month ago today after misconduct allegations. A new interim leader was named. The party kicked off a leadership race that has been tumultuous. The main candidates, Caroline Mulroney, Christine Elliott, and Doug Ford, and Patrick Brown, who now asserts he was wrongfully accused and wrongfully forced out by the party, so he's jumped back in. And that is making the leadership race not quite so tidy.
2: Do you know what risks tearing the party apart?
1: Yes. Losing again. Losing to Kathleen And
3: I think for the party, it's an opportunity to have um, major change, a fresh start. We don't have
0: time for a leader in training. We need somebody who's going to be able to win. Elect me leader, and we're going to hone in on Kathleen Wynn and the issues, I can assure you. The stakes couldn't be higher, not only leadership, but potentially Ontario Premier. In spite of the turmoil, an Ipso survey found that any of the four main PC candidates has a 37 to 40% popularity with voters. That's a winning number in a three-way race. Collectively, the PCs now would receive 38% if a vote were held today. The Liberals, 29. The NDP, 26%. So, here are the six people one of whom is almost certain to be the next premier. Favourable impressions with voters? Well, for the Tories, they're in the low 20s, though Patrick Brown is down around 18%. But that's better than the sitting premier, Kathleen Wynne, who's at 16%. NDP leader Andrea Horvath is highest at 30%. She runs ahead of her own party's popularity. In terms of unfavourable impressions, they are highest for Wynne, a whopping 62%, followed by Ford and Brown. Elliott and Mulroney represent the biggest unknown to voters. As if the Tories needed more turmoil, joining us now from Toronto is Tasha Curridan of Global News Radio 640 Toronto and Rob Benzie, Toronto's star Queen's Park bureau chief. So before millions of Ontarians go to the ballot, it will be up to about 100 to 130-odd-thousand PC members to pick a leader. Tasha, how does Patrick Brown's re-entry affect the race?
3: I think it affects it in several ways. Um, first of all, it focuses all the attention on him, and it takes off uh, the attention on a lot of the policy issues, I think, the other candidates might have wanted to bring to the fore or looking at their character or their fitness. It basically becomes a referendum on Patrick Brown's character. Um, it also becomes, I think, uh, an issue for some other candidates who might be uh, opposed to the elites, such as Rob Ford, uh, Doug Ford, rather, who's the only other anti-elite candidate, I would say, in the race. Uh, Patrick Brown appeals to that voter, base so that could be trouble for him
0: yeah how many anti-elite votes are there to split up there rob you've been at (laughs) queen's park for i don't know if it's five decades or six but uh, have you seen anything (laughs) like this
4: no, uh, this is a soap opera meets a reality show meets House of Cards. It's like nothing we've ever seen, uh, in, at least here at Queen's Park, and I don't think on Parliament Hill either. You have the, this leader defenestrated on January 25th by his own party uh, after, uh, after a scandal, and uh, a few weeks later, after he licks his wounds in the witness protection program, he's back and, uh, with a vengeance. And I don't think personally that Patrick Brown will win the leadership on, on March 10th. But if he does, it will be even more chaotic here at Queen's Park because the caucus, for the most part, is against him. Only about two or three MPPs are with him now on this, uh, on this redemption tour.
0: Well, uh, well since you mentioned support, your, your guess on that, uh, Tasha, what's, yeah. what's your take? Can, can he win this? I mean, Patrick Brown brought a lot of uh, these members to the party in the first place, and they're going to be casting some of these votes.
3: Yeah, but they say a lot of members also um, who signed up for his leadership have not signed up or renewed their membership. Some of them were disillusioned with the positions he took on sex ed, for example. Uh, Some of them may have just dropped off because they were members of convenience. And every leadership numbers go up as people get signed up for a particular candidate, and they may not stick around. So it's it's impossible to know. Um, He does have support among a number of candidates that are running that are not elected as MPPs yet. So uh, while he doesn't have necessarily the caucus support, he has the he has the attention factor so I really do think it's anyone's game at this point um, there's also the me too factor I think which kind of plays into this as well um, the, the me too movement has uh, some people say uh, gone a bit too far and those voters uh, members of the PC party might be attracted to Brown's candidacy for that reason too
0: Rob are you able to handicap it all if you don't think that Brown is likely to win do you see a favorite out of, out of, in the group right now
4: I I suspect that uh, if the race were today, uh, it would be, and of course it's not, uh, it would be Christine Elliott or Doug Ford who would win. Uh, Caroline Mulroney is is struggling, I think, a little bit. I think a lot of people had high hopes for her, but she hasn't really caught fire yet. We, we saw on Friday that she had a press conference here in Toronto where she was attacking Patrick Brown uh, more vociferously than uh, she had before and saying he should get out of the race because he does, he's a distraction. So I think we'll see more of that in the debate next week, uh, or sorry, this Wednesday in Ottawa, uh, the, the, uh, mm-hmm. the the candidates debate. But, I, but I, I, I think right now it's still Christine Elliott or, or Doug Ford. But but You never know, Brown did bring a lot of people into the party, um, and yes, Tasha's right. a lot of those social conservatives are, are disillusioned with him, and some of them have gone to Tanya Granick uh, Allen, who has done a really good job f- uh, pushing her issues. Uh, she's against the sex ed uh, curriculum. Whoever thought that that would be a cornerstone issue of a leadership campaign? Well, it is, so uh, and uh, th- it's thanks to her.
0: Uh, Tasha, what do you think like the because I mean second and ballot uh, second ballot support might uh, might make a difference as well like who who can kind of build their support after that first vote.
3: Well, that's the thing that Carol Mulroney was talking about uh, this week when she had her press conference uh, last week, actually, when she said, you know, it's not about the second ballot. It's uh, That's why Patrick Brown should get out. People should be focused on beating the Liberals. Um, well, it's easy to say, but, you know, I think that the second ballot support is going to be important. I think Tanya Granigall, and uh, Rob's absolutely right, she's attracting the social conservative vote that might have been disillusioned with Patrick Brown. Where would she throw that? Because I don't think it would be enough for her to win this contest. Where would those people go on a second ballot? Uh, I don't think they go to the progressive voters, uh, aggressive campaigns. Maybe they go to Doug Ford on the sex ed issue. Um, and then again, you see the two more progressive, centrist candidates, I would say Christine Elliott and Carolyn Mulroney. I agree. Carolyn Mulroney, I don't think, uh, is going to win this race. Would she be instrumental in putting Christine Elliott over the top? There's lots of different horse trading that could go on on a second ballot.
0: Rob, uh, like our poll suggested that it doesn't matter which conservative wins, which means <clears throat> the prize is really valuable here but that it doesn't matter who goes up against Kathleen Wynne, they'll be ahead of Kathleen Wynne going into the race. Do you you buy that necessarily? Um,
4: well, I think I would take everything that's being pulled right now with a grain of salt because it's all theoretical. Um, and we haven't, I mean, yes, there is a lot of discontent with Kathleen Wynne. We've seen that in polls for the last sort of two years. Um, but uh, the liberals I know would really like to face off against Patrick Brown or Doug Ford. They're less enthusiastic about facing off against Christine Elliott or uh, or Caroline Mulroney. But they believe that they could beat either of the two men in this race in a, in a general election. Maybe not with another majority government, but I think they think they could win a minority once they're talking about issues like pharmacare, the minimum wage and not talking about personalities and, I mean, at the end of the day, the Tories are going to have to tell voters after March 10th, oh yeah, honest, we can govern a $150 billion a year corporation called Ontario, even though we've had this, this absolute mess for the last few months in our own party. It's, that's going to be tricky for them to turn the corner and pivot away from, from their problems
0: uh, into a general election. How do you think this affects the general election, Tasha?
3: Well, I think it definitely, uh, if I were Kathleen Wynne, I'd be smiling right now because just this three-ring circus is, uh, it's a distraction from anything bad that could be happening here, conversations really about things like the minimum wages impact on jobs in Ontario, all that stuff has been superseded by the Patrick Brown show. So great for her as long as it lasts, of course. And Rob's right, after the uh, leader's chosen, that's when the focus will narrow. I think, though, um, that, uh, you know, if Patrick Brown hadn't been allowed to run, I think it would have been a lingering situation because I I don't think... I mean, I'm just guessing here, but I don't think he necessarily will win. It's possible, but there's no guarantee of it. So I think the party was smart in a way to let him run because if he loses, then that's the end of the story. He can't complain anymore. He can't sue the party for not letting him run as he threatened to do. So I think the, the big beneficiary here to me should be, but seemingly isn't yet, Andrea Warbath, because the NDP is the only party that doesn't have, you know, scandal and this kind of thing happening to it, uh, as the other two do. So really, um, you know, if I were her, I know this, she had press conferences week. Uh, She's trying to beat her drum and say, yeah, what about me here? Look at the NDP if you want a fresh start.
0: Well, it's a lot more excitement than a lot of people expected. Uh, Rob Benzie and Tasha Kyrton, thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you. Thanks,
0: Eric. The Trudeau government tables its third federal budget on Tuesday. What tax changes might we see and who will be most affected? Joining us now from Montreal for his insights on what to look for is Craig Alexander from the Conference Board of Canada. Craig, you are a chief economist. Uh, you see budgets coming at you every year, this one coming a little earlier than usual. What do you expect on Tuesday?
2: Well, the the government's going to be tabling a a budget which I think is going to be relatively modest but filled with new measures with a a dominant theme around uh, removing gender barriers. Uh, I think one of the challenges the government has is that in terms of the economic outlook, we're, we're likely to see modest economic growth going forward, and that will constrain the tax revenues that they have for, for new initiatives. Moreover, this is the third, the third budget. Next budget will be before an election. And so the, the government might not want to make large-scale announcements given, given that the, the next budget is the one that, where they'll probably want to make the, 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 the biggest gains in terms of new programs before they go back to the electorate. Uh, In terms of the focus, I do think that there's going to be a gender theme. I think that the the government has been very clear that what they're looking to do is remove barriers facing particularly women, and I think that's going to show up in a whole variety of different ways in, in terms of things to help promote women in sciences, help promote biz, uh, women entrepreneurs. Uh, on the tax front, I, I, I don't think we're going to see large-scale tax changes, uh, although small businesses will be watching for clarity around uh, some of the, the, the tax measures on small business that previously was very contentious. You might remember late last year we had a, had a, had a real debate about some of the proposals the government had around small business taxation.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that, uh, that the next year is an election year. Sometimes the goodies are held back till then. And also that the, this past year, the economy was very strong, and this year might not be. So do both of these kind of constrain uh, what we might see in this budget? Because we're not getting a lot of trial balloons this year about what might be in the budget.
2: Yeah, typically before before budgets, we we often hear about a, a variety of possible uh, pro uh, New policies, And I, I don't know if it's because this is a very early budget, and so the, the public service is, is working really hard on putting together this year's budget, and that's limiting the number of, of, of trial balloons, or, or whether, whether it's just a simple you know, a, a function of the fact that they, they really do want to keep the, the, the modest uh, new announcements to being on, on budget day. Um, but, you know, the economy has done well. I think that the, the, the growth we've had means that the deficit will be smaller than what the government was previously projecting. Uh, but I do think that if the government's going to continue to, to run deficits but keep the debt as a share of the economy on a downward path, and that's what they've really committed to, I think it limits what their, their new policy options are going to be.
0: Canada always has to watch what is happening south of the border. We watch with greater interest in the, in the era of Trump. Uh, however long uh, his administration may last, there is uncertainty about NAFTA, there is great certainty about tax cuts down there. How does all of that play into what the government must consider in its budget?
2: Well, I I think there's two dimensions to this. The first one is that uh, uncertainty related to NAFTA means that the government probably should put in place a, a contingency reserve in case... The economy doesn't do as well as uh, private sector economists are expecting. So I I think that in addition to using uh, 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 modest growth forecasts when building the budget, I think that they'll probably put aside something like $3 billion just in case the economy doesn't do as well as expected because of the potential risk of, of problems with the NAFTA renegotiations. When it comes to the tax competitiveness issue, I think this is a very fundamental issue. I think that Canada's gone from having a tax advantage versus the United States. States to having a disadvantage because of the large-scale tax cuts in the United States. Uh, but the, the government has been clear that we should not expect uh, cut, uh, tax cuts uh, in this, this budget. Uh, they, they said basically they, wanna, they want to see what the impact of the, the new tax measures in the United States are and consider options before they make any large-scale announcements on the tax front. But Canadian businesses don't compete just on taxation, they also compete uh, on, on, on the basis of things like regulation. Regulation is one of the biggest costs that businesses face. So there are things they could do in the budget to, to help uh, enhance business competitiveness, and it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it. I, I think that one of the things that we might see is some, some, some new announcements around how they're funding innovation and research and development. And this has come out of um, some of the 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 prior investigative work that's been done around how could Canada improve our our innovation policy. So I I think we'll probably hear um, more about competitiveness enhancement on that front, but I don't expect large-scale tax measures.
0: We we only have a couple of seconds left. Do you have any sense of what, because Canadians always want to know, will there be anything in
2: there good for me? Um, Any sense of that? Well, I think the focus of the government is helping middle-income Canadians, um, and I think that's going to be the real focus. Again, I think the, 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 the tone of this budget is going to be around gender, and, of course, if you, if you remove barriers to women, you know, that's, that's going to impact a lot of middle, middle-income uh, households in Canada, and I think that's going to be the theme. Craig Alexander, thank you. I'm Eric Sorensen. Thank you for listening to the
0: West Block Podcast. For more, go to our website, thewestblock.ca. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And tune in again next week for another West Block.